Thank you, India. Uh, like India said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting us for the very first time. By the way, for those of you who don't know India, uh, she is our administrative assistant, and basically what that means is she is the glue <laughs> that holds this place together. And so I just wanted to honor her today because she works so hard, and uh, she has to put up with me all week long, so... She's worthy of double honor in that regard. <laughs> uh, so we're thankful for India. But, uh, oh, before I forget, um, if you, we have a couple of uh, annual giving statements that I know many of you need in order to complete your uh, taxes. And some of the ones we have don't have addresses. So if you have not received your uh, giving statement, either directly from us or through the mail, it means that we don't have your address and so if you, if you need that, you can speak to my lovely wife, Shannon uh, Allison, right here down in the second row. Uh, but today I have the privilege of concluding a series, concluding a series that we've been in for the last several weeks, a series that we've simply been calling This Is Us. And the series is loosely based on the NBC drama, the dramedy, This Is Us. And as uh, I've enjoyed this series over the last several uh, months because I just, as I've said week after week, I just find to, it to be very relatable for average people like me, uh, people who have problems, people who have issues, people whose stories don't always end with happy cookie cutter, like made for TV endings, like this is us, is, is appropriately messy, is appropriately relatable, and those of us who live normal lives can relate to it because it's about this family, the Pearsons who just present themselves to American audiences as just a real family with real issues. They need therapy. The parents have made mistakes. They're not particularly, at least all of them, they're not particularly well-adjusted in their adult life. And this is just like, this is us. This is a window, unedited window, into our family and our life. And I just feel like in some meaningful way, this is how we're supposed to come before God and others, right? Unedited in our raw and broken, incomplete selves, and just say, like, like this is us. This is who we are, right? Uh, but to take it a step further, we don't present ourselves to the Lord and say, hey, listen, take it, take it or leave it. Don't change anything. Don't tweak anything. In fact, we humbly bring ourselves before the Lord with all of our issues, the good, the bad, and ugly, and we say, Lord, tweak what you want to tweak. Change what you want to change. We want to be humble, naked, bare before you, so that you might do with us what you will. And so this series uh, is, is helpful for us as we try to figure out who we are as a church. I've said for the last five weeks that one of the thing, one of the, I have two questions always before me as a pastor, always before me as the shepherd or the father of this house. And those two questions are, who are we? Like, honestly, who are we? Our honest assessment of who we are and where we are. And the second question is, who are we supposed to be? In other words, what are we supposed to be aiming at? What are we supposed to be aspiring to? That first question is an assessment question. Who are we now? And the, the, the goal question is, who are we supposed to be? So that we're always pressing, always striving, always aspiring to be who God says that we should be. And the only way we can discover, friends, as individuals and as a corporate body, who we're supposed to be is that we continue to look into what I call the mirror of what? God's Word. The mirror of God's Word, because as we look in the mirror 
of God's word, we're supposed to see God. We're supposed to see God. And if we're in the right place, and if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, as in aspiring to the right things, when we look in the mirror, we should see, you know, like Christ's reflection in us. Oftentimes when I look in the mirror of Scripture, I see me and not Christ. And rather than being condemned and smashed down by that, I am convicted to be transformed to look more like Jesus. I am convicted, as you are convicted, when you looked in the mirror this morning and you got out of the bed, you had bed head, you said, I got I to gotta get the comb out. I got to put some, 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 I don't know what you call it, some makeup on these cheeks, something so that I might uh, bear more uh, 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 pleasing and approachable resemblance in this mirror. And so this is the same is true of us. We look at ourselves in the mirror of Scripture so that we might together look like something that is pleasing to God. And so we've been pairing this series. If you've been uh, hanging out with us over the last couple of months, you know that we're ramping up. This is a really big year for us because uh, sometime last year, we put in an offer to buy this space. And this building is 24,000 square feet. It sits on some seven acres, uh, not anchors, acres. It was valued years ago at $1.4 million. And we're getting this property for 500000 And this is a gift from heaven, right? A divine opportunity for us to steward well. And so we have plans this summer to purchase this building and not just purchase this building, but to remodel it. And we're engaging what we've been calling our more than we can imagine campaign. Because we believe that God has set something before us that's good, that's awesome, but it's big and audacious. Right? And this is something that is beyond our means. This is something beyond what we can accomplish on our own. And so we've been, as a church, rallying around this thing that God has set in front of us And there is a swell of excitement. And some of you have been engaging with our more than we can imagine booklets on the back table, which answers all the questions about this giving campaign and gives you a complete snapshot, complete with pictures, timelines, offers you an opportunity to make a pledge. And we're pushing towards what we're calling Pledge Sunday, which is March 25th, the last Sunday in March. We're pushing toward March uh, 25th, our Pledge Sunday, which is your opportunity and your family's opportunity to make a two-year pledge toward what you believe God is calling you and your family to contribute to this more than we can imagine campaign. And of course, on Easter Sunday, we'll have our Easter celebration, but that will also be the first official day of giving for this campaign where people will start paying on their pledges and people will make uh, uh, significant upfront gifts because we have some upfront things that require a bit of financing. And so this is really, really exciting. And so I'm just going to make an appeal to each and every person that calls this place home. And this goes for you guys who are listening to us uh, through our website. If this is your home, I'm going to ask that you not miss any Sundays between now and Easter. I mean, we got a lot of family business to discuss. And so I'm going to ask that if it's at all possible that you make every effort to be in attendance here over the next few weeks because we have a lot of family business to discuss. But this is the opportunity that's before us. And I don't want anybody to think that the building is the most important aspect of what we do. We've been saying week after week that the building is just the coat that we wrap around the church. Like what's most important is the family that's underneath the coat, right? That we want to be a healthy church and wrap a good-looking building around a good-looking church. 
And that's why we continue to look into the mirror of Scripture so that God might fix us and tweak us and make us be something that's pleasing to him so that the building, the awesome building can match our awesomeness. Does that make sense? And so we're engaging this whole more than we can imagine campaign. So we've been in this series and we've been dealing with all sorts of things that frame who we are and who we're supposed to be as a church. We're supposed to be a hospital for sick people. We're supposed to be a community of great neighbors. We're supposed to be a welcoming community. We're supposed to be a peculiar people who have a fundamental orientation toward God and the things of God. And last week, I talked about the reality of us being a diverse people, being an intentionally diverse church that seeks to gather uh, people from all walks of life, all generations, in a place that will equally value both genders. And I want to conclude this series this morning by talking about the important reality, the kingdom reality of the church as a family. This kingdom reality of a church, God's people as a family. I tell you, uh, you might not know this about me, but I'm I'm a family man. I'm a family man. If you look at my Facebook feed uh, and you talk to me for any length of time, it won't take you long to discover what I'm into, right? I'm into music. I, I love what I do for the kingdom. But, but, but I, I am a family man through and through. If you want to put a smile on my face, I, I just need to see my, my kids. I got four boys, and I, was, I just happened to be in San Diego at a National Vineyard uh, Leaders meeting all week, and so I was away from them for an entire week. And you, you don't know the joy that feels. Now, I enjoy my time away from them. Right? <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was quieter than I'm used to, and it was calmer than I'm used to. But when I, when I got back home, and those little rascals come, and they put their arms around me, and they, and they like, snuggle right up into my neck right here and, and squeeze me. I think they were trying to discover if I had brought them anything uh, <laughs> from my trip. But I'm, I'm a family man. And, I, and, I, and I've learned to see, like, the face of God when I look into their face. It, it's, it's the external picture of God's loving kindness for me because Lord, Lord knows I don't deserve such precious gifts, right? My, my family. And, and I look into my wife's face, this wonderful woman that God has given me. And we're having a romantic, you know, dinner over at Chipotle, and it's just the two of us. <laughs> You can have a romantic dinner at Chipotle. Now, I take her to nice places, but, you know, we're on a fixed income, right? So we got to make, you know, make it work. And I look across, and she smiles at me. I see the face of God. I see the, the external outworking of God's goodness and his great love for me in my family. And so what's happened over the years is I've been married, and as I've had these kids is that I've just become a family man, like, to the core. And what the Lord has done through the Spirit's work is just helped me to see, broader than my own immediate family, all of my kids and my wife and my, my, my sisters and, and my mom, it's just to begin to see the, the world around me and the broader community of faith as, as the family of God, of which I am blessed to be 
apart. I, I, if you interact with me, I say brother and sister a lot. That, that's probably just the, the product of me growing up in the black church. I mean, we had to, you know, address one another as brother and sister. But even in my adult life, even in venue, so I just I'm prone to say brother this or sister that because I just it's hard to dishonor somebody after you called them brother. It's hard to hold a grudge. It's hard to, you know, be sideways with somebody. And so this, I just found that as the longer I walk with Jesus, the more of a family man I become. And it is a centering reality. The more we come to know and understand that this, the family of faith, the body of Christ, isn't just some people you see when you go down to the church. Isn't just some people that you're cool with, but like this, this is family. And what might change in our, in our lives? What might change in how we relate to other people if we begin to see one another as, as family? If we begin to treat one another as family. This might put you in check when you want to murmur something about somebody. It might put you in check when you begin to be judgmental or something like that. Like, what, if, what, what, what would change in your life if you begin to see this family and the broader church family and even the world that we live in as family? And I just want to frame that for us in a message that I'm simply calling as I conclude this. This is a series, We Are Family. We're family. I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter 2. Feel free to turn there with me if you have your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your row. Uh, feel free to grab one of those. Use it today. If you don't have a Bible at home that you can understand, uh, feel free to take one of those Bibles home as a gift from us to you. Don't get in the habit, though, of taking one every week because that's not the purpose of them. Ephesians chapter 2, while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for this unique opportunity we have to gather not with just some people we like, but with, with family. These are your gifts made in your image and likeness and much worth in value. And they serve a unique purpose in our life. Lord, help us to understand the role of these wonderful people that you put around us. This institution, the church, help us to value it and to use it in ways uh, that uh, move us toward your ideal for us. Help us to participate, God, in the scheme and your great story. Help us to see today what you would have us to see. God, I pray, as always, that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there with me if you can. We'll be projecting the words on the screens, and you can even interact with it on your devices if you like. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, So now you Gentiles, that's us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. That's important. He continues by saying this, You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Verse 21, we are carefully joined together. There's intentionality here. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. 
Now, this is a really rich text. and Actually, if you read all of chapter 2, it really frames well for us who we, are, who, who we have the opportunity to become as we engage a life with Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to assign this whole passage uh, as homework for us all to read and to pour over this week. And there will be a test, so don't try to skip out on it, right? Um, but today we focus on this bottom portion because it really frames well for us the reality that the church is a family full stop. The church is a family. Paul says this in verse 19, So now you Gentiles, those of you who were far from God, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are now members of God's family. And so in this verse, it's really, really powerful because it frames for us the distance that we've come as we've come into relationship with God through Christ. First says we were uh, used to be strangers, unknown to God and the things of God. Not just strangers, but foreigners, like who are from over there, like way over there. Foreigners, strange. And then there's progression goes, but you are citizens along with God's, you know, uh, along with God's holy people. So we go from being strangers to foreigners to citizens, but he keeps like bringing us closer and keeps tweaking the language. So we go from being foreigners, strangers from way over there to now we're citizens and we have some rights and things like that. But he drives it home because it's really, really important. He says, now you are now members of God's family. This isn't hard for us to sort of frame the significance of being a foreigner and a stranger, especially in this country, in our cultural context, to being a citizen, which is really, really cool, which really avails you to certain rights and privileges, but, but to be considered a son, to be considered a, a daughter, it, it's like that, that changes the whole ballgame, right? And so, geez, and so Paul says, you are now members of God's family sons and daughters with all the rights, benefits, and privileges of sons and daughters. This is the reality of what happens when we come into the family of faith through Christ. But there's a challenge here uh, because we're human. And as humans, we're attached to other humans. And I believe that God's original plan for our family lives would be for them to be perfectly whole, perfectly functional, void of dysfunction, and anything that will complicate our understanding of what family life in his kingdom is supposed to be like. Because I believe that the Lord uh, puts us into family units so that we can more easily relate to this kingdom reality of being in a family. Unfortunately, we're humans, and our parents were human, and we live in this fallen reality such that our family lives, all of us experience dysfunction some of us profound dysfunction, others of us unspeakable brokenness and dysfunction in our family units. Like we couldn't get away from it. We knew it was dysfunctional. It shaped who we are. It forever frames our understanding of family. And some of you, until you got out into the world, you just thought that level of brokenness was like what everybody experienced. It's heartbreaking to hear stories of children who had been abused violated by their own fathers and violated by their own family. And they report thinking that they thought that that was normal. 
They thought fathers did that to their kids. And so some of us come from unspeakable places of brokenness, and we can't help but impose that broken understanding, that broken picture, that broken reality onto the family of faith. And so it's hard for us to imagine and be healthy and whole and functional in the family of faith or to see God's family as something that's functional and healthy because, well, of the human factor. And so I want to make it clear that when I'm talking about the family of faith, I'm talking about the church as a family, I need to clarify and say that we're supposed to be a healthy family. A healthy family. This isn't some transactional thing where, like, if you give me some, I'll give you some. Well, you got to bring some to get some. You got to be, you got to perform to be accepted. Maybe that was your reality and you were compared and you had to perform and you had to prove yourself worthy. But in God's economy, it doesn't work like that. And so some of us have the unfortunate task of unlearning some of the brokenness from our own family lives so that we can relate well to the healthy kingdom reality of the church as a healthy family because this is really hard to get wrong. And so we're not, we're challenged to, to set, a, set, a, set apart and set, set this kingdom family apart from our broken understandings that come from our own families. The church should be a healthy family. And it, when we begin to understand that, it's a complete game changer. So from this passage, I want to highlight three things that's going to help us, particularly as we try to look in the mirror of the word of God and see who we should be. I think that there are three things that will help us see the church as a family and to unhook from some of our um, more dysfunctional family past. So the first thing I see is uh, we should understand that the, that the family has one pri- primary focus, one primary purpose. And I say things like this, and I frame our, some you know, preaching points around this because I know how easy it is to complicate that which God never intended to be complicated. And people love, for some reason or other, to complicate the Christian life. It's hard, but as I say often, it's, it's not complicated, right? And so there is one primary purpose for your family that you were born into, and one primary purpose for, purpose for the family of faith, and that is simply to grow you up. That's God's master plan for your life. It's for you to grow up. And you say, well, what about this? God wants me to do this and God wants me to do that. Whatever you name that could be right, all the things that God wants from you, they can be reduced to this one thing that God wants all of us to do, and that is to continue to grow up. This is a mystery to some of us, but if you boil down what you expect from your kids, basically, if you're healthy and you're looking at it the right way, all I expect from my kids is that they continue to grow. They continue to grow up physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. I told you I was away this week, and guess what? Zeke, my one-year-old, he started walking while we were away. I mean, he's a fourth kid, and so it's like, okay. <laughs> Just send me a video, is it fine, right? But if Zeke is 10 and 11, and he's still, you know? <laughs> I mean, he, 
mean, that, that would be, you know, we might have to get it looked at, right? Because that's abnormal. That's not the normal progression of growth and maturation, right? And so when we look at our own children, and, uh, we just want them to grow up. We want the babies to start cooing. They need to start rolling over at a certain time. They need to be progressing in their eating. Teeth need to start coming in, right? This is the left foot, right foot of growth and maturity. And so th- this church as a f- you know, family is designed to do the exact same thing that your nuclear family is, was designed to help you do, and that is to grow up only to grow up in God. Because it's all about maturity, Right? And it is the outworking of Christ being formed within us to see measurable incremental growth in our life. And here's what the stunning thing is, as a pastor, is that you encounter people who have been in church for 10, 20, 30 years, and they are still, for some reason or other, spiritual infants. Spiritual infants. It's puzzling sometimes how you can clock that many hours in church, listen to that many sermons, be in the house of God and among the people of God and the worship of God, and still be so immature. And some of you, if you're honest, that's your story, which is why you're no longer at some of the churches that you've been at because you just realize for some reason or other they're great people there. I love the pastor. Uh, I like everything about the church, but, but I'm just not growing. I'm not growing. That's important because it's all about maturity. And when we talk about this in the context of a family, particularly the family of faith, we learn, some of you have learned this painfully, that maturity is not a solo enterprise, Right? You don't mature on your own. You don't develop properly on your own. This is why God gifts us with family and gifts us for people who will help you take the left foot, right foot steps of faith. You, you don't mature on your own. And this is why the enemy will love to get you sideways with the preacher and sideways with the people sitting next to you so that you might retreat to your corner and think that somehow miraculously with you and your Bible in a corner somewhere that you're going to grow and be challenged and be changed and be transformed to look more like Jesus Christ in your own the quiet corner of your living room. It simply doesn't work that way. God could do that if he wanted to. He can give you a supernatural download, and I'm sure he does for people, you know, who have unique circumstances. But by and large, God's growth strategy for you and me includes other people. Godly people, because this is where family comes in. Natural, healthy families tend to produce well-adjusted, mature folks. Not all the time. Because I've seen some, you know, outliers, <laughs> right? But they tend to produce reasonably well-adjusted, mature folks. Why? Because family cares about you, right? And if we want to keep it all the way real this morning, your family might even not, they might even like you that much. You might be hard to like. And some of you, if you sit, if you brought somebody with you that's hard to like, don't, just look ahead, don't. Don't give it away. But some of us are hard to like, hard to love, 
But in a healthy family, you can get on everybody's nerve, but they care about you. And in some ways, the difference between family and your good time buddies is that your family, they care about, they care about your guts. They care about the core of who you are. To the degree that they don't mind making you upset or telling you no or telling you some hard thing or, or enacting some tough love so that your guts might be okay and so that the inner you might be formed and developed. You know, casual friends, that's one have Let's go out and have some fun. I'm not going to tell you that you're mean or that you're intolerable, that it's, it's, it's not fun being around you. I don't want to ruin the relationship. Let's just have some fun. Let's just, let's just keep the peace, right? But, but, but your family, like, they're willing to tell you about yourself. They're willing to say the hard things. And if you're not disciplined enough to, 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 to voluntarily go by the mirror of God's word, they might, you know, chase you around with it and hold it up and say, hey, have you seen yourself lately? Why? Because family, they, like, care about your gods. And so to neglect... Or take a casual approach to what God has installed in each and every one of our lives, this family, the church, is to miss out on the opportunity to grow. It's to miss out or to selectively partake on opportunities to grow in the family of faith. I said it earlier, it doesn't come in any other color. This is like who we are. This is what we have primarily to offer one another. It's God's growth strategy for each and every one of us, and that's the primary purpose of a family. But the second thing I think that is important, uh, distinguishing mark of a real healthy family, is that a a family gathers around the table. A family gathers around the table. If you're like me, at mealtimes growing up, you didn't get to survey what was on the menu to see whether or not you'd come to the table. You know, I grew up, uh, we were on a fixed income. That's one way of saying that we, <laughs> we didn't have much. And so there was a lot of beans and a lot of stews. And there's some things that I don't really eat a whole lot today just because it was on heavy rotation. You won't catch me eating <laughs> black, black eyed peas and lima beans and okra. I know some of you love okra, but it was just, And you could get to the point where you could smell what was cooking, like, from the driveway. And so when it was the stuff we liked, we were like, yes, hey. Above what you could smell, you could smell the stew. You knew it just had a smell to it, right? Beans just have a smell to it. Some of that old down-home stuff my dad used to cook. Like, we're in Chicago, man. We're not in, you know, Alabama somewhere. Like, make northern people food, right? <laughs> But you can smell it, right? But, but you, had, you, you had to get yourself together before you got to the door because ingratitude was like a really serious offense. And so you smell those, right? My point is to say that we didn't have a choice when we gathered around the table. When it was time to eat, we gathered around the table. Whether it's pizza night or taco night, which were our favorite, we gathered around the table. When the stew was on the table, we just got ourselves together. Got a big glass of water, just wash some of this stuff down. But we gathered around the table 
when it was time to eat. Because families do that. And so when I say the table, I mean like what God is doing in this house. You're part of this family like you gather around the table of what God is doing here. This is why it's so important to, to, to pick your churches wisely. This is why it's so important to like be selective and, and discriminating and like really put a church through his really take it before the Lord which family you choose to engage because God has an expectation that should you join yourself to a family of faith that when they gather around the table you gather too. That whether it's tacos or your favorite or it's a stew that you gather around the table of what God is doing in that house. Verse 20 says, together, we are his house, together, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Together, we're, we're knit together. The apostles, the fathers of our faith, have laid a foundation as they were influenced by Christ Jesus, and a church like this that is influenced by God, and you've put us through a paces, and God has called you here, it's worthy of gathering around the table when it's time to eat. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Acts chapter 2. It's a, a snapshot of the early church. And it frames for us well what it means to be engaged with the family of faith. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They, the people of God, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were gathered together and had everything in common. They shared their stuff. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a picture. Uh, what a picture of the people of God gathering around the table of what God was doing. And it just so happens that in this particular snapshot, there's a lot of good things happening, like healings, miracles, signs, wonders. But we also see that they had submitted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. We also see that some of them had great need. In order to respond to that great need, others had to willfully do without so that others might have just some of the basic things. And so around the table, we saw people enjoying the snacks, the desserts, the favorites, like the good stuff. But at the same time, we saw people doing things that they probably put them out. It probably wasn't, you know, something they were really, really excited about. And so I think it's really, really important for those of you who are deciding to go to church, this church or any other church, is sort of only show up to the table when it's taco night and only show up to things when it's the things, thing that you're into. Um, I just really feel like the Lord would challenge us all to gather around the table when the family gathers. Again, this is why it's important to select your church because if you've ever been at the wrong church, you know it's hard to get along and to go along with things that are going on. You find yourself disaligned with things. You got a problem with everything. This is why if somebody wants to leave here, we bless them to leave. And I don't say that in a funny way. 
Because we know that if you are here and you are not supposed to be here, if you are here and you don't align with our vision and our values, you don't drive with the leadership, you don't understand like where we're going, you're going to be a problem. You're going to be a problem. You're going to be disgruntled, right? Try to start little factions. You're going to be sitting in the back row with your arms crossed. You're going to be getting sideways with other people. And I would just as soon to bless you on your way so that you might discover some house that you're more aligned with, some church that you can drive. I would just as soon bless you out the door so that you can go somewhere and grow, so that you can go somewhere and be rooted and be planted and so that God can do his transforming work in you through some other house. But I want people here that feel called here. I want some people here to say the Spirit of the Lord has set something in this house for me and my family to latch a hold of. Now, that may not be forever, but in this season, the Spirit of the Lord has stationed me here so that I can set down some roots and so I can rally around the causes that God sets for this house. And some of us just view Christian community and the Christian church as this sort of transactional thing. I come, give you a little bit of money, I pay your salary, preacher. Don't upset me now. And this is a, some consumer transactional thing. No, that, it doesn't work that way in a family. It doesn't work that way in a family. It's all for one. Right? We get to have fun and have tacos and stuff. But guess what? Somebody's got to do the dishes. And somebody's got to do the laundry. Somebody's got to make the beds. And somebody's got to plunge the toilet. When the toilet gets clogged, like, that's not, like, right? You don't have to be called to do that in your family. You don't have to see a burning bush to say, let me go down and sweep now. Right? And some of us need to be called to serve in ch- children's ministry when we put our kids down there every week. Some of us need to be, feel called in order to help clean a building. Like, God's not going to, you know, lower some angels and tablets down while you sleep. Like, there's a hole, like, we, we, we pick up the slack because that's what we do in families. But some of us have been negligent, not because, like, we're bad people, but because we haven't looked at the church as a family. We've, we've looked at it as, what can you do for me? What can I get out of it? And if I were to trace this back to your, you know, how you grew up and your family structure, we might find traces of that where you are. And so I don't say that to condemn you or to make you feel bad or to make you feel steward. I'm just trying to reorient you. And help you to understand that this is a different ball game. And in the context of family, we have fun, but we get to work. We are cared for, but we care for. And when the dinner bell rings, we come to the table. Now, in a family, we have all different kinds of gifts, all different, you know, income situations, a whole deal. And so... You know, it's like, like we got to bring the equal amount of stuff to the table, but we all have to bring what we have to the table. And so when the Lord sets an opportunity before us to, to take this giant hill of, of building this building, some of you will reflect that you've just been like, oh, that's cool for them. I hope they get it. But I'm just not into that. I'm not going to give to that. And I just, Is this your family? And some, I hope you know my heart, and this is like a guilt trip, but this is like, you know, Papa Gino, this is like I'm the father of this house, and we're having a family chat. 
this is where you eat, this is where you sleep, is this like where God has stationed you, then why not rally around the table when it's time to rally around the table? Why not carry the load, the little bit that you can carry? Why not do that? So that we might together experience the more of the Lord. So that we might together be all uh, able to see what God has done through us. He's taken our little bit and multiply it. He set before us something that we cannot accomplish on our own. Uh, but he set before us something that everybody brought their little bit. It all just takes a little bit. But the family rallies around the table. And the reality of this is that this is, this is a maturity thing. It, this is a maturity thing. Because my kids would love to play Xbox when it's time to eat. They would love to go out and play in the yard and shoot some hoops when it's time to make up their bed. Like they, they aren't wired to do what's necessary and do what it's called for. They are wired to do what they want to do. And so it is the transforming work of Christ in us, through us, that causes us to do what we need to do over what we want to do. And sometimes you'll want to come to the table. And sometimes you'll want to give to your pet things because that's what you're into. But sometimes you'll have no connection at all. You might even disagree with it, but in a family like the family rallies. Right? Christ transforming work in us. It's a maturity thing. Family gathers around the table. The family carries the load. I can go on and on about that. Third thing, really, really important thing. Really feel like the, the weight uh, of the Lord is on this third one, and I think we have some work to do. A family honors one another. A family honors one another. And some of you, your instinct is, what? Right? Because you experience something totally different than honor. Like perpetual honor that was just baked into the culture and the essence of your family life. Like honor was the last thing that you gave each other. But I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where, where, where we weren't allowed to hit each other. I grew up with a bunch of sisters, and so somehow they could hit me, but I couldn't. <laughs> the game was always over when I got ready to get my licks in, right? But we weren't allowed to answer each other what? And I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I, I'm learning to not interpret what as is disrespect because, like, we couldn't say that to each other. So I first met my wife, and I would, call, and I would say, hey, and she would say, what? I'm like, what? what? Who raised you? <laughs> this is different. But in our context, to say what was, was, was dismissive. Besides, we didn't say what to our friends, and so we couldn't say what to each other. Your brother or sister asked you for something. You didn't necessarily have to give it to them, but you better not give it to somebody else. I, I, I cannot remember a single instance of talking back to my mom or my father. I just can't remember. Maybe I did, and it was so traumatic that I, I blanked it out. <laughs> but that's just not how it went in our house. You, you didn't slam doors in our house. Well, half the rooms didn't have doors, but you didn't... <laughs> You didn't slam doors. You weren't. I go to the store and I see kids throwing tantrums like we would get scared. 
Because my mom would get angry. And she'd give us that look like, I'm like, Mom, you know that's not us doing that, right? <laughs> but she would, like, get mad, and she would look at us, and she didn't say much. But the look said, if you, if you ever did that to me, that's what the look said. And we got it. I almost wanted to say, hey, man, can you chill out? You're going to get us both in trouble, right? <laughs> but there was just not, we didn't play it. And so we don't tolerate that from our kids. We don't tolerate it. That's not how we manage our disappointment. That's not how we treat one another. Don't speak to your brother that way. And you better not speak to your mother that way. I've had to snatch my 10-year-old. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't even mean it. It was just like, hey, hey, you're getting a little loud, son. You go take, take a walk around the house or something, calm down. But we, we don't speak to your mother that way. It's, 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 it's baked into the essence of who we are. But the reality for many of us is that we didn't grow up that way. We didn't grow up that way. And so the reality that God would insist that we show honor to one another is something that's foreign to us. We want to show honor maybe when we're in an honoring mood, maybe when we like the person, but that's not the instruction that God gives us in the family of faith. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. In other words, let it run deep. Abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what, what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Get this, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. So he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And it seems like, like in the middle that he's talking about something else. Why are we talking about evil and good? Uh, because love is the essence of who, we're, who we are. It's the defining characteristic of a family, especially the family of faith. And to do good to one another and to treat each other well is just who we're supposed to be. It's just, it, that's just the minimum standard. And on top of that, he urges us to do what? To outdo one another in showing honor. To outdo one another. In other words, the, 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 the physical picture of this is, is to, to fall all over one another trying to show honor. You ever see two people, you know, fighting over the check? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> I never see that. <laughs> well, when I go over with some of my friends, we, we have to, like, get crafty even. Maybe get there a little earlier, talk to the way, say, hey, bring me the check, only to find that they've gotten there earlier than you, and they've just been cooking. i got to go to the bathroom, and, but they're really trying to talk to the way to get the check, like fighting over the check. And some of you are like, I have no grief for that whatsoever. My friends don't do that at all. I'm always paying. You probably need some different friends, or you need to take what I'm saying to heart. Outdo one another. Go out of your way. Be lavish in honor and praise. And this is a foreign concept to many of us, but it's the, it's the minimum standard for us in the family of faith. It's the minimum standard, the family of faith. Uh, because the thing about family, the thing about people you're around often, the people you hang out with, you can get real common with one another, right? And this could account for the reasons why my sons sometimes have a tendency to be kinder to their friends than they are to their brothers, because that's just my brother. The sample size of interaction 
provides more opportunities to get on somebody's nerves or to rub somebody sideways or to bake, break somebody's toy or action figure. And so uh, you, can get, you can get too common with one another such that you go, ah, just, you, you know how I feel about you. Uh, you know I love you, but get out of my face. And be dismissive and this, that, and that because your family is like, okay, that's just. But the Spirit of God, Christ being formed within us, would urge us toward a greater self-awareness toward like how much honor or dishonor we're showing one another. And I'll confess that as a person who grew up in the black church, and I, and, I, and I witnessed what I felt was like the overboard of that, particularly towards leadership, right? It was like, it seemed like we were like worshiping the pastors or putting people on pedestals. And so I found it refreshing to come into the vineyard where there weren't like a bunch of titles and there weren't like pastor's anniversary and like, you know, lavishing gifts and like, you know, bowing before people. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but as a kid, it just, even as a kid, it felt like this is, this is a bit much, right? But I'll just say in our vineyard culture, I think we can go the, the wrong direction with this. We can, we can go in the opposite direction with this, but just being too common and too casual. And I, and I wrestle with whether or not to share this because I don't want it to seem self, self-serving, but I think that in a healthy family, there, there is honor and reverence given to those who lead us. I'm not talking about worship. Your worship should be, should be pointed to God and God alone, but there is a healthy respect and reverence given to those that, that, that lead us. And I'm thankful uh, that in this house, that I, I don't, I don't, I'm not ever running into disrespect, right? One, because I just don't tolerate it, right? But I feel like I'm serving a congregation that respects my wife and I, respects our leadership. But I, I feel like I have the responsibility to build a house and to build a culture that outlasts me, Right? a culture that somebody else could walk into and be healthy and ready to go. And so I feel like God is urging us in every direction, upwards and outwards, to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in how we speak about and how we speak to one another to outdo one another. And some of us, if we're honest, we fall well short of that minimum standard. Because it's easy for you to talk about somebody. It's easy for you to couch some gossip in a prayer request. Well, pray for Sister Shirley because she, she's shacked up right now. Or pray for so and such. Or I did you get, and you've just learned how to couch this gossip and couch the things that you should not be sharing about anybody into some veiled attempt to hide it. And it's, it's dishonor because why? The golden rule. If you walked up on somebody saying that about you, or if you discovered somebody said about you what you said about somebody else, then you'd be upset. And if you'd be upset, then that's like, don't do it. When we interact with people, we outdo one another and show honor. We speak well of one another. We hold each other in high esteem. And some of us, that's not our natural disposition, but some of us, we have to do before we are. We have to say honoring things so that our heart can catch up with, with our words. 
Same thing, if you like humility, you just start doing humble things, start cleaning toilets, start opening doors for people, and your heart will eventually catch up, right? If you're unloving, just start doing loving things, and the Spirit of God attach along to that lean, and you'll become a loving person. And I feel like for some of us, we need to begin to externally honor so that, so that, we can reach a level of maturity and be who God has called us to be in this regard. Love, let it be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And so Paul makes no distinction here between honoring one another and serving the Lord. He makes no distinction between genuinely loving others, honoring them, serving others, and serving the Lord. In his mind, it's all the same. And so as we begin to see ourselves as the family of faith and employees of some of these healthy practices of a loving, healthy, functional family, I think the quality of our collective lives will improve, that we'll grow to greater measures of maturity in Christ. And so as we, and worship team, you can come up. Um, as we've worked through these, I mean, some of you have had to wrestle with the mirror of God's word and who we really are. Now, generally speaking, I think we're really loving a really healthy church, but when I consider the ideal or the standard or the bar, I think we all can agree that we have work to do because we're only going to be as healthy as a church as we are individually amen and so we put this all together um, do we view this as a family something that's not really optional god's master plan for growing us up helping us reach maturity a greater measure of christ's likeness are you gathering around the table of what god is doing here as a faithful family member and are you out like falling all over yourself to show honor to one another. I think we're in a unique season. I feel like we are asking a lot from God and we need a lot from him. And I feel like the Lord is challenging us, especially in this season, to really press into a place of spiritual maturity so that we might have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are ready to receive all that God has for us. Let nothing, friends, hinder the work that God wants to do in this church through us. And I hope we can all uh, join in that work. So let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you, Father, for um, some of the hard and painful truths that you set before us this morning. Lord, I know that some of these things are hard to hear, but I know as sure as we look in the mirror in the morning, Father, we see things that you're causing us to tweak and to take a second look at. And so, Father, would you help us this morning to look more like your son, Jesus? Would you help us to uh, give you the right, Lord, to tweak anything you want to tweak, to change anything you want to change, to bring us into the likeness of your son, Jesus? Help us to be lavish in our love. Help us to rally around the causes that you've set before us as a family. Help us to come to the table when it's time to come to the table. Father, grow us up in ways that only you can through the vehicle 
of this Christian community. God, do what only you can. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.